Today, we are remembering a time, that time being 1992, one weekend specifically where superstar talents from comic books all gathered to film a series of videos that would make their way into the public. But at the same time, a select group of them would gather in Malibu, California to announce a plan to form a brand new company. That weekend was a weekend that would change comic books forever and did and we're going to discuss it today stan lee jim lee todd mcfarlane mark silvestri bob kane today it's all about the comic book greats on an all-new observations hey everybody welcome to another edition of observations i am your host rob liefeld and these are my observations hence the corny observations handle. Did you know that I had a observations newsletter when I was a kid? I, I later uh, made that the name of my column in a fan magazine that I did with X amount of different fan members. They were called amateur press associations. I've, I've, I think I've uh, discussed this in the past, but uh, amateur press associations called APAs were huge in the 80s, and I was able to join a couple of them. One of them in particular was about the Teen Titans, which was a favorite comic book of mine. And the number one reason that I joined that was because the artist of the Teen Titans, George Perez, drew a cover, drew an actual cover uh, that DC would use two full years later. But he drew a cover for the the, the fan club. So I'm like, wow, George Perez, who I had seen on the circuit, who I'd known, gotten books signed from. I, I learned it because he had the original. He said, this, this is a cover to the Teen Titan fan club, APA. And in an APA, in an, in an amateur uh, press association, everybody is responsible for, for printing out X amount of pages of their association. If there's 65 members, there's going to be 65 copies. Whoever, whatever you write and draw, you, you have to make on your own dime 65 copies. This is kids listening to this. You're like, what archaic caveman technology is this? Well, it is archaic caveman technology because it was all um, Xerox machines going to the copy shop. I didn't say coffee shop. I said copy shop, the copier uh, place where you then would put in your order. They weren't cheap, uh, especially when you were doing artwork and you decided, well, I'm going to try and raise the bar here and, and, and I'll color all 65 uh, of, the, of this one shot so that everybody gets a colored copy. And, and I did that with my brand new Prismacolor markers. But again, the expenses piled on. But if you wanted to contribute, you had to send in your own amount of pages to a central mailer. And that central mailer would then collate, put everything together, and everyone would get their copy in the mail. I still have my apps. They're still just uh, really warm and, and near and dear to my heart. It, it was in my junior and uh, senior year that I of high school that I got into this. So it was my first real embracing of fandom. But along the way, I did newsletters giving my observations on comic books and it was called observations so so then later on the magazine that i have been reading to you for the last several months entertainment retailing from wizard i did a editorial column called observations there's my ridiculous 90s uh picture uh with i, I think i have a hat on and and it's observations and i was giving observations of the industry as it was unfolding from my seat as the 
uh, owner of Extreme Studios and, and, and an officer of the Image Comics Company. So Rob Observations, literally for me, <laughs> for me is 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 almost forty a a a forty year indulgence. We just now do it via this podcast. This podcast was born out of absolute uh, loneliness and desperation in 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 the spring, uh, a couple months into the pandemic. And my, my, my son was kind enough to get me a blue Yeti microphone and say, dad, you can do this. You can do this. You can pull this off. And, uh, so, so, so I started talking to my microphone about the thing that I am the most passionate about outside of my family is comic books and my journey with comic books. And, and, and thank you for going along with me on this journey. And if you, you ever doubt when I say that I am just absolutely stunned and amazed at, at the evolution of comic books, the comic books that I picked up off the spinner racks and at the different grocery stores and the fact that they rose above basically being you know uh medium modestly budgeted tv shows like bill bill bixby's incredible hulk uh or 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 the the different television incarnations linda carter's wonder woman both which i never missed uh, as as a dutiful child of the the late 70s i never missed either the incredible hulk or wonder woman or any of the uh varied you know, comic book adaptations that were put put on the air. CBS, ABC, NBC, they all took their swing at this stuff. To to watch them grow into what they've become, I, I mean I can I can just tell you, you know, go no further than, than this recent last week's announcement of of, you know, James Gunn, uh Peter Safran, the new heads of DC Comics, and their big announcements about the DC universe. And if you think I'm gonna talk about that here, I'm I'm not. I just I'm not going they they made their announcements. We all absorbed them. Now, the enormity of it is that it got covered uh, like it was a nuclear arms treaty. Uh, th- this is the 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 importance that we give to this. It was literally like you know when when uh, when Russia and America came to to the to the negotiating table, you know, uh, to stand down nuclear arms. And I mean, you had all the major networks, and I mean, they're they're there uh, live with Gorbachev with Reagan. Um, I mean, th- th- this this stuff is is really treated with so much uh, importance, and we don't have a single actor, we don't have a director. Uh, we, you know, of course, you know there there were implications. People on Twitter were weighing in. I'm when I mean people on Twitter, I mean talents like James Mangold, like Swamp Thing. Okay, we all saw that. But until these movies get made, what are we doing? Okay. Uh, I'm in the process of trying to put together multiple different movies at the time. Just and and just with with any movie, it's all about all of the different ingredients that you can put into, uh, you know, the making of the movie. The producer, the director, the star, the co-star, the cinematographer. It 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 has to come together and then work on paper. And we've all seen so many of these movies announced. We get excited. I think the fatigue is the announcement fatigue and trust me as 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 if if you read that some extreme studios title is coming towards you another one on top of profit in the next few weeks i understand your fatigue because i too go huh i look at these okay wish 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 them well and i do i wish all of the dc stuff well but it took an entire day of every outlet um breathlessly reporting on it carving it up into bite-sized pieces uh doing as much you know background on each and every uh announcement in order to keep you engaged and 
I was engaged. And so were you. We all clicked. We all read. We all shared. That's the enormity that this was not something that was commonplace when I was growing up because again, you didn't, maybe, maybe you got one network that took a, a flyer on a, you know, a Wonder Woman show. I mean, you, you got to remember Wonder Woman was passed between networks. It didn't even finish it, finish its run out on the network that it started on. It, it, it's like the third season. I believe it was an ABC show, if memory serves. And this is a, if memory serves. Uh, uh, and then I think it went to NBC or CBS. So, so I'm covering my tracks. It just, it started at ABC and it went somewhere else to finish its third season. We see that nowadays. Something get canceled, people, people, Run, run around and they want somebody else to pick it up. But the enormity of these announcements is uh, commonplace to us now only because we have given, I mean, how much box office? Is it $20 billion worth of box office we've given to Marvel films? Is it less than that? Is it $15 billion? I mean, when you have, you know, off the top of my head, five of these movies are in the $2 billion-ish range. And then you just go, wow, is it really that much? Is it, you know, somebody with a calculator right now is working it out. But the bottom line is those, those numbers begin with B, billions. And so now DC is, has got James Gunn. They have their slate and we'll see how it comes together. We have to see how it comes together because anything less than watching the final product is, is not going to, is not going to, you know, satisfy. And, you know, again, having been part of, let's say the Deadpool process, uh, I can tell you up to the last minute on on in in February of uh, of 2016, there was uncertainty. Is this movie going to work? No matter what test screenings we had attended and how carefully cultivated everyone in that test screening was, and and the and the positive marks and the high 90s that we received, there was still in, incredible trepidation from the studio that the movie was not going to perform. Then boom, overperformed. What was it? 156 million dollars over the Valentine's Day. Uh, weekend and, and and blew past expectations. You just you really don't know. Everybody on the flip side expected Henry Cavill's Man of Steel with the pedigree that it had with Zack Snyder, who was a, a, a huge hit maker. Um, go t- go back to 2013, pre anything hashtag Snyderverse, and Zack Snyder was a premier filmmaker in the um at, at every at every studio in Hollywood, and uh, having Christopher Nolan on board shaping it. Producing, producing it, contributing. It was a big deal. It had a lot of pedigree. It had, it, it, it had a lot of excitement. And then it didn't do Avengers numbers. And that, that's really what it came down to. And, and for some people, he was mean, mean Superman. And you could see that referenced in the James Gunn uh, announcement without even saying it. He, he kept telling you that this is a kind and courteous Superman. So we get it. We, we want to move as far apart from that raging third act Superman battling trying to save Earth at all costs against a raging lunatic named Zod, when in fact, when in fact Cavill was playing a version of Superboy. I mean, he, he really had just become Superman, but, but because that movie didn't perform to the expectations, the flip of Deadpool, you know, Deadpool, low expectations, will it, you know, will it arrive to Man of Steel? This is going to work. Oh my gosh, we didn't make as much as the Avengers did a year before or, or a fraction of what they wanted because those, those were, those were the expectations. So yeah, Rob's observations has been along for the ride for a long time. The kid who was doing that newsletter reviewing comic books, didn't have a whole lot of media, didn't have a whole lot of media to, uh, to review. We were just, you know, with the late eighties and I'm going to touch back on this again, uh, later in this episode, 
as as we go go ahead and approach our our main topic is that the 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 Hulk had come back in two TV movies, one alongside Thor and one alongside Daredevil, and uh, they did really well. The ratings justified, you know, uh, the the Thor one doing the Daredevil one, and people dug it, and and they got pretty pretty big numbers for their day, especially for you know network ratings at the time. That is the best we were getting, or something syndicated. We weren't getting these multi hundred million dollar budgeted, you know, productions. And we certainly weren't stopping the entire world to to report on a, a film slate because that's what it was. It was a film slate. And you're like, but well, well, Rob, Kevin Feige started doing the film slate thing in 2014. He did, but he had a successful first act of his universe behind him and was telling you, this is where we're going to take you next. This is, we have, you know, nothing so far except for uh, James Gunn is writing Superman and possibly, you know, uh, uh, s- some other filmmakers stalking some of the other titles, but it stopped the world. It 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 was the biggest deal. Those those sites got got record traffic and and record hits in the anticipation of what is coming in regards to these film and TV projects with the new DC regime. So if if you can believe it, and I'm not sure I can, but Image Comics is 31 years old within about 24 hours of me recording this. And whenever that anniversary has happened on the 10 year, on the 12 year, on the 15th, on the 20th, 25th, 30th, now 30, 31st, a picture gets passed around. A picture uh, that finds myself and uh, Jim Lee and Mark Silvestri and Todd McFarlane and Eric Larson and uh, uh, Mark Silvestri, right? We're, We're all slumping together. And then someone... That always believes errantly uh, <laughs> uh, that someone always believes that the the part of Will's Protasio is being played by a gentleman named Hank Knoltz. Hank was a friend of mine who I met through those aforementioned appas. I met Hank at Titan's talk, at Titan Talk. Uh, Hank started his own. Uh, Appa called Yappa, Young Heroes Appa. So, so I met Hank through two Appas. We became comic book friends. He lived 20 minutes from where I'm recording this podcast from, and he became my go-to number one nerd, uh, nerd buddy, uh, comic book nerd buddy. We were comic book crazy, and in our times together discussing comics, circa 1985, 86, 87, uh, was some some of the most exciting times. We stayed tight. We we went and saw the opening night of like Lethal Weapon. That puts us probably in 1987, 1988. We would we would see movies on the weekend. Um, he'd come to Orange County. I would go to Corona, where he was living at the time. He uh, was was one of the people who interviewed us on this day and uh, participated in this gathering of Eric Larson, myself, Todd McFarlane, Mark Silvestri, Jim Lee, and Jim Valentino in this photo that I'm referencing. He is mistakenly identified as Will's Portacio, hilariously, I might add, over the years. Um, it, it, it cracks me up as if, as if, like, why? Why why do we suddenly think that that's Will's Portacio? I, I, I can't even, um, you know, uh, uh, kind of muster the, the, the entire, like, process that goes into just going, and Will's Portacio. People do it all the time. And Will's Portacio. And it's, it's not Will. 
it's not Wills. Obviously, this is still tickling me. But also tickling me is how absolutely horrendous each and each and every one of us look in this photo, except for Mark Silvestri and Jim Lee, who um, Mark looks like he's going to the club. And I can assure you, uh, Mark is not going to the club in this picture. Uh, Mark is, is uh, it's about noon. This is about uh, noon, 12 noon lunchtime. So the club is, is a, <laughs> the club is a good 10 to nine hours away from being open for Mark to go. And, uh, and, and, uh, and, and, and club with his, with his beautiful girlfriend at the time. But, but Mark was a man about time, town. This is the Mark Silvestri that had the silver Porsche. Uh, and this is his house. We are standing in his house in Malibu. And we're going to get to that house in Malibu in a minute. And uh, yes, did the, did the artist of the X-Men do so well on royalties that he was able to afford a beachfront house in Malibu, whether he owned it or rented it, I didn't. I don't know. I don't care. I didn't ask. But Mark's Malibu house was a, the stuff of legends, as was his silver Porsche. He was marketed as uh, the most badass, richest, most well-to-do guy in the comic book business, especially at this time. Now, Jim Lee looks like, as many have pointed out, as as someone who just came off campus uh, at, at his uh, from UCLA. Uh, from his biochem lab, okay. So, so J- Jim has has arrived uh, fresh with his. Uh, is he, does he have a Coke? Uh, does he have a Mister Pib? Is that a Doctor Pepper? I can't tell. But but J- Jim looked like he looks like he came from his biochem lab at at uh, at at UCLA to join us. The rest of us are frumpy as all get out. I am uh, full in in creepy uh, uh, greasy locks with my. My hat backwards with an uh with with t-shirt and shorts. Eric Larson is staring off for a photographer that is obviously way to the right of this picture. Um, he is, you know, he's in a frumpy shirt. Uh Todd McFarlane is in a frumpy shirt and a frumpy uh <laughs> a jean jacket and and uh, but but maybe trying to give my greasy hair a run for the money, but losing terribly. Um and uh and then Jim Valentino. Uh, it is also, I would say, uh, in, in, in the frumpy dress club, I would, I would give the most frumpy, uh, in this, in this picture to myself, uh, number one, uh, number two, Valentino, number three, Todd McFarlane, number four, Eric Larson. And then of course we have our, uh, you know, very well to do, uh, about to go to the club, Mark Silvestri and chem lab student, Jim Lee. Also in the picture is Hank Canals, who is, you know, kind of in the middle of the frump factor. It certainly can't, can't, uh, r- raise uh, the, 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 to, to the, to the, to the heights of, of Jim and, and Mark's well-kempt, uh, look appearance. But, but, uh, again, he is not Wills Portacio. Hank did part of the interview of this and is in the photo. And, uh, and to this day is, is, <laughs> is, is misrepresented as Wills Portacio. But again, Mark Silvestri, this house, this house that we go meet to, I'm going to tell you all about it today. This picture is passed around every 30 now now for 31 years straight and i figured you should get some background and the background on this picture lies in the fact that we were all coming from the comic book greats staber home video productions now i i have my staber home video rob liefeld uh epic you know <laughs> stanley interview right here 
on my shelf next to me. I have my original, original juicy copy. I was so excited when I got actual copies of this. You may you may have seen these. They're on they're on YouTube. It's Stan Lee invites you to visit the comic book greats. This one with Rob Liefeld, Staber Home Video. Let, let's let's go ahead and read the back of mine. Comic books have never ever been more popular. Whether read for fun or collected for financial promise. Look at that. For financial promise, we're putting it right on the back of the video. And you wonder where Wizard got it from. Uh, the comic book renaissance of the mid-80s has yet to slow down. Hosted by Stan Lee, the man who created many of comicdom's most popular and celebrated heroes, the comic book greats, volume two, presents Rob Liefeld in this behind-the-scenes glimpse of the 20-year-old creator, illustrator, who has turned the comic book industry inside out with his exciting new characters. Right before your eyes, you will witness a new comic book hero, a comic book hero created diehard as Rob shares pointers on illustration, layout, and design. And then it's got all of these uh, credits on the back. Most importantly is Paul Burke, executive producer. Paul Burke owned Staber owned or, or had a controlling interest in Staber home video. He came to my office a uh, pr- few months prior to this. Because what I'm telling you is this is all going down January 28th, January yeah 29th 30th 31st and uh and February 1st and it all starts with Paul Burke coming to visit me on uh he's coming to visit me on the good notice the good recommendation of Mr. one Mr. uh Mr. Todd McFarlane and so he comes and is telling us that uh he wants to do these videos. He wants to focus on the hottest names in comics. And when he told me that he was going to call it Comic Book Greats, uh, I said, you know, to me, that means a whole bunch of other guys. That means Frank Miller. That means Walt Simonson. If you've listened to my podcast, you know who I hold in regard and I believe are the Comic Book Greats. He said, no, 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 Rob, I, I got it. We're going to interview some of the older guard. But Rob, you and, and Todd and Jim are moving the needle you guys have the top books here at the top of the charts. You outsell everybody. It would be foolish for us not to uh, enter into this pact with you. And so I said, well, okay. I, I mean, there's no arguing that, that, that if it is of the now, that, that we are viable candidates. And so he said, we're going to do this. This is the weekend we're going to do this. We're going to start shooting these on a on a Thursday, on a on a Saturday, on a Friday and a Saturday, and we're gonna get you guys done first. And then he said, "And do you mind that we're gonna have Stanley as the host?" And here's where I think the most interesting part of this entire weekend still lay. It, it this is this is the part that I think is is wildly misunderstood as well. And and what's important about this isn't any of the opinions I'm gonna give you because they're not opinions. And in this instance, they're they're facts. So it's not it's. It is, in fact, important that you know the facts of this period because it is how things were. Um, and and Stan Lee at the time, in, in 1991, is, is kind of uh, uh, as lost as he's going to get during the comic book world. He had left doing regular Marvel comics in the 70s. He returned to do a She-Hulk one-shot uh, to launch the She-Hulk comic book. I, those ads were great, full full page house ads in every comic to let you know that She-Hulk was coming. I remember pulling it off uh, the stands uh, drawn by John Buscema. I mean, you got two of Marvel's big guns giving you this brand new uh, character, a spinoff of the beloved Hulk, She-Hulk. And now obviously we're, we're, we're 
living in a post-She-Hulk television streaming Disney Plus world. And, uh, but, but that was kind of like Stan's last significant. And he kind of came back and did that as like in an ambassador role. Like we need Stan Lee's name to marquee this. And, uh, and again, Stan was at this time in Hollywood, uh, really pushing all of the Saturday morning cartoons that were coming out in the eighties, the fantastic four on NBC. They, they had a thing solo. Yes. The thing had a solo cartoon. It was a kid who had a ring and he twisted it and all the rocks came on his body. This was post the fantastic four cartoon. If you're like, Rob, I've never heard of this. I don't know what you're talking about. Go ahead. It's on YouTube. Google it. The thing had his own cartoon, uh, Spider-Man and his amazing friends. This is all the stuff that Stan had been pushing in the, in the, in the uh, early 80s, Spider-Woman. Spider-Woman had her own cartoon on the ABC network on Saturday mornings. I was so excited. That is also, I believe, almost all of those episodes are available on YouTube if you choose to to track them down and look at them. So following that and and, 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 and the downturn of the live action stuff, which really kind of in the in, by 1980, you know, the, whenever the Incredible Hulk originally wrapped up, that was over. Then there's the NBC, the NBC movies that I spoke of which two-hour movies, made-for-TV movies, which put Lou Ferrigno, Bill Bixby back as the Hulk alongside Thor, and then another one alongside Daredevil. And those were exciting, but those were, you know, ultimately one-offs, movie of the weeks. Didn't give Stan a whole lot of stuff to do. The X-Men animated series was still a couple years away from happening. Maybe behind the scenes they were assembling at the time, but it wasn't on the air. Marvel's uh, media representation at this time was at an all-time low. Stan's stock was nowhere near the Stanley that you remember in the last decade prior to him passing. Um, Stan's stock was the the fans didn't really know who he was. The way that you and some of your friends and some of my kids' friends go, "Who's Jack Kirby?" was "Who's Stan Lee?" in in the nineties. What 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 does this Jack Kirby guy I read about is something that my kids have asked me in the last five years, and some of their friends because Jack kind of obviously. On top of not being around, having passed away, Stan has garnered so much of the publicity and the actors being the characters on film have garnered so much of the publicity that all the other creators have kind of slipped away. Guys like myself, we've tried to keep our creator faces out there so that you know who's bringing you some of these characters. Certainly in a movie like Deadpool 2, I want you to know that James Brolin was created by me, Zazie Beetz was created by me, Deadpool, blah, 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 whatever. Stan Lee didn't have, didn't have any of that recognition at the time. His name was well-known. He had voiced over on some of those cartoons, whether it was the Fantastic Four, the Spidey, uh, and the Amazing Friends. There was an animated Hulk. Uh, but again, th- this is years later. This is almost a full decade, at least eight years past all of this happening. And he is out here still trying to make things happen in regards to what's going on with Marvel. But Marvel is also now, uh, you know, helmed by an, an, an all-new management team. It's helmed by an all-new executive branch that's running it. It's it's owned by uh, by Ron Perlman, uh, who, who who was owning Revlon at the time. And Revlon in the late '80s, early '90s, was a mega hot brand featuring some of the biggest stars, certainly the biggest supermodels. Uh, as a child of the '80s and the '90s, and and having my MTV never turn off, Revlon was all over the place. Uh, he took his Revlon fortune, invested it into Marvel, and was trying to heighten them and and, and bring their uh, bring their awareness. Uh, you know, make it bigger in terms of a financial uh, institution. I'm talking about Marvel here, and and having better representation on Wall Street. Again, both both instances, Wall Street financial representation. That is what what Ron Perlman was trying to do. If I said Stan, forgive me. It's Ron Perlman, uh, 
was trying to do with Marvel, po- you know, t- take Marvel and make it as, as, as uh, brand recognized as Revlon was. So Stan was not doing a whole lot and he didn't have any comic books that were quote unquote hot. He didn't have any association with the hot characters of the day. He didn't have any association with uh, Venom. He didn't have any association with X-Force. He didn't have any association with Cable, Domino, Deadpool. Um, he, he didn't have any, you know, whether it's the, the, the Jim Lee characters, the Omega Red, all this, this you know, Psylocke. Uh, Marvel had become more really Chris Claremont-centric than anybody else in that last decade. And so Stan was available for work. Let's put it that way. Let's put it in the nicest possible way. And he was, he, he turned out to be the perfect because Stan hadn't lost his uh, place with us, the people who did him. We fondly remembered him and knew him as the godfather of comic books. And if you ever have any questions about how I absolutely, how I absolutely 100% see Stanley and his place in the comic book pantheon, please go listen to some of my dedicated Stanley podcasts. I give you a very, very um, specific way that I believe he should be seen in a very successful light, uh, in a very positive light, but it's maybe not the way that others see him. And certainly there is an anti-Stan sentiment and there's really nasty books that were released, but I believe he should be held in a positive regard. And he certainly as again, as the godfather and most importantly, and especially for these videos, the spokesperson for comic books, it fit perfectly. But I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to give you a stark contrast before I, I land this plane completely and, and, and segue into these videos. And then that picture and that image comics moment. In about 2007, the man who would eventually Manage Stanley, and again, this is just so you to, for you to understand, and this is kind of the beginnings of the Stanley that you now understand and became this global rock star with all these cameos. Because it comes down to management. The guy who would manage Stanley uh, had seen me at a local convention and had asked to meet me in Orange County because he knew that I lived in Orange County and he lived in Orange County, and he wanted to come out and he said to me, "I want to buy a lot of your art." And in original art circles, a lot of your art means, "Hey, I want to spend." You know, and as artists, we always sub, uh, subsidize our income with selling our artwork because we can't possibly hold on to all this stuff, right? I met uh, the man who would be Stan's manager at the Starbucks on the corner of uh, State College and Brea Boulevard, and uh, I'm sorry, Imperial and uh, Imperial Highway and Brea Boulevard, and that coffee shop that 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 Starbucks is still there. We had a corner coffee table and. Uh, he met me right on time. I had brought the allotment of the pages that he wanted me to bring, which were almost 100% from the Onslaught Reborn uh, miniseries that I had just wrapped over with Marvel. And he wanted splash pages, double splash pages. He looked over it all. He selected about six or seven pages. He um, paid me. We talked about comics. We, you know, obviously I, I had seen this guy on the circuit. He had become more familiar to me. But as we're ending and he's sipping his coffee, he says, hey, I want you to know something. I'm going to be taking over managing Stan Lee. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to change how people treat him, change how people uh, look at him. He's not getting treated the way he's supposed to be is what this guy says to me. Now, what that means is, Hey, there have been two Spider-Man movies to date, two of the Raimi Sony movies. There have been by this time, three X-Men movies. You've gotten uh, maybe one ghost Rider. You've gotten daredevil. You've gotten a fantastic four. There, there, there is close to 10 at the time of these new millennium, the 2000s, you know, on uh, Marvel films. And maybe, maybe the Fantastic Four, yeah, the Fantastic Four had already come out. Like I said, this is 2007 because it had to be after Onslaught Reborn wrapped that I would have these available uh, uh, um, 
I would have this artwork available for him to check out. And he says, I'm taking over. I'm going to take over Stan. I'm going to change the way everyone's treating him and, and, and position him in the way that he belongs. And he kind of winked at me like, watch this happen. Watch me move. To this gentleman's credit, he did everything he said he was going to do by putting Stan at, at the forefront of the movie premieres, making sure he's getting these cameos. Uh, Stan post like 2008 Iron Man number one, Robert Downey Jr., that's when it all started. And then, of course, I really believe the apex of it hit with the Avengers 2012. And then right after that, it just ignited fire and the Stanley phenomenon just grew exponentially each and every year, culminating with obviously him standing with all the cast members of Endgame and Guardians of the Galaxy and everybody assembled for that magnificent final shoot and stand with Downey Jr. and Josh Brolin and, and uh, Mark Ruffalo and Paul Rudd and Chris Hemsworth and everybody. I could, I'm, I, I'll, I'll run out of breath if I name everybody, but we saw those photos. So the Stan uh, restoration project went into overdrive around 2007 with this new manager. Now, what happened afterwards and how that all fell apart? I, I'm not going to touch on this. What I'm going to touch on what happened prior to that, what, what made Stan a force. Now, the reason I knew this was the case is I went to meet with Stan in his offices up in Hollywood. And by offices, I mean a closet, my office that I work out of, my studio, if you put a partial wall into it and a desk, that's how you now make it into two offices. It was a tiny place in a high rent district, very expensive. But when I walked in, I was shocked at the, um, the, the, it was a closet. Now it was a closet with a great view on a high floor, but it was tiny. And Stan wanted to meet with me about creating properties that he could make into comic book movies because he didn't have access to any of the Marvel stuff at the time. And so we talked over a couple of possibilities of what those movies would be. He and his um, producing partner at the time were very keen on making something happen using Stan's name, given that these movies that I've told you, the first two or three X-Men had come out, the first two Spider-Mans, um, those, those were the big guns. Those were the ones that were earning the most and getting the most acclaim. But, uh, we we talked about a patriotic hero. We talked about an action hero, but none of that stuff that Stan did ever really took off. And and yes, there was I think there was Stripperilla with Pam Anderson somewhere in the early two thousands because I remember there was promotional material for Stripperilla, a superhero stripper. Again, this is prior to this new management taking over and going. I can pivot you to an all different place and get you exactly where you need to be and position where you need to be and have people know what you did. And they did that and it succeeded. But that Stanley certainly is not the Stanley that we sat down to interview with at the Staber Home Videos. And I'm glad you look back at those with such favor and with such excitement. And you should, because they were fun. And we had respect for Stan as the godfather. But the fact that he is the host of these, because sometimes people go, oh, they're so lucky they were on Stanley's show. No, we had to approve him. Everyone had to come to a unanimous um, kind of approval that we were okay. Because, you know, Todd's name and Rob's name and Jim Lee's name are the big names on the video boxes. Um, Stan was kind of doing hosting duties where, where you see some stars, you know, later in life, they host game shows. And, and this was that period for Stan. That weekend, uh, sitting down and doing all of these videos, this, all these videos were done in the valley, uh, up, up, in, up in, you know, the valley, Sherman Oaks area of, uh, of Los Angeles. I knew because I made the hour drive uh, 
for two of those days. Staber had provided hotels for us, but I had stuff to do, deadlines to meet, people to hang out with back in Orange County. Uh, I was, it was a very, you know, exciting period for me at this point in time, X-Force four or five is, uh, is the stuff four, five, six are the books that I'm, I'm completing. And I've already began work on Youngblood and image comics behind the scenes is already putting, being put together very quickly. We, we figured these, these, these videos would be great. We couldn't use any Marvel artwork on any of them. That's why one of the berserkers is on the cover of mine. Uh, Todd's spawn is on the cover of his Jim's, you know, Spartan is on the cover of his. We all use characters that we would eventually be using in image comics as the covers of these boxes, because obviously we didn't have access to Spider-Man cable, Deadpool, Wolverine, but it was a fun three day shoot. And, and of course, Todd went first. I went second. Jim went third. Uh, we did our group one. We, Todd and I did our jam one. They had other people that they were shooting on Saturday. Our, commitment to this was wrapped up as they continued to shoot that weekend with george perez um i believe there was was it at that time ramita senior and ramita junior i'm not sure if they were another time but i I remember george because we were able to meet with george the night before we had that picture that you see all that time we met with george perez and kind of told him what we were doing he had the opportunity to jump on board and and we gauged his interest even though he represented a generation before, George was not in any way, shape, or form interested. George was happy with where he was going with his career at that time, wished us well, thought we were all entertaining, had met all of us as fans. He met Jim Lee as a fan, Rob Liefeld as a fan, Todd McFarlane as a fan. But so George was around. He was um, on in the area, had come in to do his uh, Staber home video. Again, getting ours out of the way on Thursday and, and Friday is what set the table for us to all gather and eventually go to Mark Silvestri's Malibu home. But I think I've mentioned before on the Staber home video front, and I enjoy watching them because they, were, they really are snapshots. And here's the great thing. There wasn't a terrific budget for these. All of this is one take. Uh, all of this is one take. There, there is, the production values are good for the time, but again, it wasn't like, okay, let's redo this again. Let's shoot this again. Let's light this again. You know, it was kind of like we were, we were, I didn't have a pre-interview with Stan. Stan knew me from different conventions and different appearances, but we didn't do like a pre-run through that there just wasn't the time. So it was like lights, camera, action, go. So that nervous, jittery Rob Liefeld, and honestly, in some instances, that nervous, jittery Stan Lee is what you got. And, you know, I've heard over the years how much you guys enjoy these videos and I'm so glad you do because again, I would have put some pants on. Old Rob would have told young Rob, what are you doing in shorts? But you couldn't tell young Rob to wear pants. He was a shorts guy 24-7. He owned the fact that he worked out of his own studio, owned his own you know, uh, lifestyle and wanted to wear t-shirts and shorts 24-7 and no one was going to tell him no. Much the same way I think that we see Kevin Smith wear that jersey all the time or whatever the Kevin Smith look that he has and I believe still maintains uh, to this day, I had my t-shirt and shorts and sometimes hat on, hat on backwards. Look, and uh, not for the better. <laughs> I, I, I look at the pants that my, 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 uh, my, my fellow image founders are wearing and I, and I feel like I should have been wearing pants as well. Um, bare leg, not a good idea. It, it took me until about a decade ago. You'll notice now I wear jeans because legs, uh, shorts don't look good in photos, people. And when you're getting thousands of photos taken, you are reminded very quickly, put some pants on. Put some damn pants on, Liefeld. But maybe we could have also showered that day as I look and see that Valentino and Todd and myself are a little uh, unkempt, maybe slightly greasy. Well, 
So that Saturday, getting there, is following these Staber home videos, which were a blast. And again, I mentioned, I think once before, that uh, we would all huddle and watch other interviews. And the one that was the most tension-filled was the one with the uh, Batman creator, Bob Kane. Uh, and I understand they've changed his credits over time, whatever. At the time, at that time, in that time and place, he was the Batman creator. And it's funny, Todd didn't have any beef with him either, even though Todd, Bob Kane had openly, randomly uh, swiped a Todd McFarlane drawing that he kept passing off as his, as his own. It was that favorite. It, it was from Todd's brief stint on Batman Year Two, and Bob Kane had taken that drawing and redrawn it and passed it around to all the media. And Todd has covered this in other interviews how he and his family were pissed off and incensed that Bob Kane was passing this around. But to Todd's credit, he didn't confront him that day. It wasn't the time. It wasn't the place. Bob Kane, just this is an aside, talks like Snagglepuss. Um, the, 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 there's a cartoon character named Snagglepuss. Some of you may, may, may know of him. I'm going to attempt to do a, uh, a rough Snagglepuss, but Snagglepuss kind of talks like this. Uh, it's Snagglepuss and he, he, he has this certain way that he speaks. Oh, and, uh, Bob Kane talks like Snagglepuss and he and Stan do this interview and we all sat in the back room behind the curtain and listened and we were aghast because he is so rude to Stan on his video. You can see it to this day. Oh, you wish you was as successful as I was, Stan. And maybe, maybe someday it'll happen for you, Stan, but you, you wish you was as successful. You wish you was as successful as Bob, as me. And uh, behind the scenes, even more pompous, even more kind of rude and arrogant and it was uncomfortable. And Stan handled himself with 100% class and it, it's interesting knowing that what would come down 20 years later for Stan, that Bob could not any longer make that, you wish you was me. No, Bob, Stan got his own due, and maybe you wish you was Stan. But uh, that was our entertainment behind the scenes at Staber Home Video after we had wrapped our own uh, videos. And again, remember, Todd and I did an overkill joint video. We did our separate videos, and then we did a video with Jim and Will Spartaccio about creating comics. So, so they had us booked for 48 hours, and then they started putting the filling the other slots and again the one that we were able to watch behind the scenes and i'm and i'm not going to lie to you todd and i are cracking up you know i have to you know how you have to be quiet while someone films while we heard snagglepuss talking to stan oh stan stan batman he's the number one you wish you was me stan we were cracking up we had to cover our mouths to not make um uh, you know, too much noise, but Todd and I in our little, the little director chair seats are, it's, it's back in the makeup um, room, which was separated by a curtain. Uh, we just had to be quiet because what was going on was so ridiculously absurd. And, uh, and, and yet, you know, again, I've always believed that Stan handled himself with so much class and, and Bob Kane was just very coarse, very rude. Uh, you know, he was an old guy. So, so maybe, you know, maybe he was just having a bad day. But it didn't come off well, and, and kudos to Stan. But we had all gathered there, and by we all, I mean the principals, Jim, Todd, myself, and Eric Larson was flying in. Mark lived in Malibu, and Valentino was in Orange County, and I don't, for the life of me, remember why Wills couldn't make it. I believe he was in the Philippines. But we, were, we had this uh, press day set for our first joint interview, as all of us, at Mark's Malibu home, and it worked uh, the best to to do it in this fashion because we would all all we would all be assembled already you know in the San Fernando Valley so i stayed the night in the hotel <clears throat> and i was the driver for Todd and others who as we drove out to Mark's Malibu home not not a quick drive from the valley but not not the longest drive either but that morning it was filled with excitement 
And again, this is not the first time that I'd been to Mark's Malibu house. Um, I, I keep I keep talking about his Malibu house like he's Malibu Barbie. <laughs> he certainly was a version of Ken. Because um, again, you know, Mark feels like he's seven feet tall. And that's without that the the extra quaff of the hair that he was rocking at the time. And uh, Mark, super handsome, super gregarious, big, looked like, you know, Conan the Barbarian. It, matter of fact, when Mark was first doing the circuit while he was doing Conan, he did King Conan early on at Marvel in the like 1984, 1985. Uh, Mark would come to conventions and he was, in fact, bodybuilding. Mark will tell you this. He has the um, photos to back this up. Giant, giant muscles. He was literally um, on the bodybuilding circuit. So he looked like Conan as well as drawing Conan. But he was always ridiculously, um, amazingly taller and, 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 and uh, you know, an imposing figure wherever he went. So he had parties at the end of every San Diego Comic-Con. The Monday after San Diego Comic-Con in the late 80s, Mark would invite people to his house in Malibu where everyone would gather. The thing I was going to tell you about the house earlier that I'm going to touch on now is it is so close to the water. It is almost uncomfortable, but it's not the only one. It's on the in, this entire row. And now you wonder if in global warming, like those, those houses got gobbled up by the sea. Because if the wave, it, the, the high tide would would come very close to touching the wall and the glass. And he had a beautiful window that looked right on the Pacific. But I got to tell you, for somebody who has some tsunami and tidal wave kind of phobia, it, it, it would freak me out to go to bed every night. I, I would stare out at the ocean every day. Mark's drawing table was positioned exactly adjacent to the window. So he would face, you know, he would face north, face north going up PCH. But if he looked over his shoulder, he is looking at the ocean. He is looking right at the ocean. He is parallel with the Malibu shore. Okay. And this, this house is great. It was quaint. It had a couple bedrooms, but it was magnificent, but it was so close. Oh my gosh. Like in deep impact, like, like it's the first, it's, it's the first house getting wiped out in, in Armageddon. It's the first house getting wiped out on the, on the ocean. It's that close to the, to the water. It was swank. It was badass. It was awesome. This is where we gather on all the, on all the couches on a Saturday. Cause if, in case you're wondering, February 1st, 1992, I keep saying 91, forgive me, was, uh, 1992 was the uh, was a Saturday. It was a Saturday, and we were at Mark's house, and we all gather and we give our Dave Olbrick, who was the uh, publisher of Malibu Comics, was present, and he sat with us as we all kind of did our mumbo jumbo. And look, what what we what we shared that day was like, hey, this is what Spawn's about. Hey, young but government, you know, government uh, sponsored team. Hey, Savage Dragon, he's a cop. Hey, Shadowhawk, he's going to break your back. He's a vigilante. Hey, Wildcats, they're aliens. Hey, Cyberforce, they're technologically, you know, genetically manipulated, uh, you know, super soldiers. I mean, everybody kind of laid out what we were doing. And we just kind of gave our mission statement, which I'm not sure we even had one at the time, but it was all for one, one for all. And we're going to own our own stuff. And it's time for us to go on our own path. And for Mark, obviously that, that represented leaving Wolverine for Jim X-Men for myself, X-Force for, for, um, Eric, it was Spider-Man. Jim had, had a huge, super successful run on Guardians of the Galaxy, made them relevant again for the first time in what felt like 15 years. Maybe it was 15, maybe it was longer. But Jim's Guardians of the Galaxy should not be lost to the uh, sands of time, given that it dis- it doesn't boast the uh, Marvel Studios version of Guardians of the Galaxy, because Jim's Guardians of the Galaxy was the traditional Guardians that I grew up 
I grew up buying when they were in their own series, their own special, where they bounced around the Avengers and the Defenders. Um, but Jim, so 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 Jim was leaving Guardians of the Galaxy, and Wills would have been leaving one of the X Men books. And uh, Todd had been in retirement for a year. He had been in retirement for a year, and so so he was coming out of retirement. He had already left Spider Man when we did our crossover around X Men X Force Four. So he had he had been gone. He hadn't probably at this time in February hadn't drawn a comic in maybe four to five months, and Spawn wouldn't be out for another you know six to seven months. So Todd got his good um, year off, as I've covered in other places where he was trying to get his sports company going, his trading card company, um, front row cards with with hockey. Uh, he was trying to get that going, and when that didn't come together, he decided I will you know, completely commit to doing image comics. But that picture that you see each and every day with all of us um, looking in different directions, looking decidedly unkempt. Um, and, and again, kudos now with fresh eyes looking at how brilliantly adorned and well-dressed Mark Silvestri was and how studious and composed Jim Lee looked as to the rest of the flim flam. And I'm ta- calling Eric, myself, Todd, and Valentino the flim flam. Um, and 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 the we should just call Hank Canals the not Wills Portacio. But I've re- really never um, discussed the details around this. And there's not a whole lot to share other than we got together, we laughed. This coalition had been coming together since like late winter 1991 as we gathered we were in new york uh new york city down in manhattan for the sotheby's auction they were auctioning off x-force one x-men number one in case you're wondering they both sold for fifty thousand dollars x-men number one sold for fifty thousand dollars x-force number one sold for fifty thousand dollars jim and i were in town for that there was also an x-men meeting going on at the time and that's kind of when we had uh decided to make all this uh we decided to turn all this murmuring and rumors into something solid. And it is the weekend that Mark completely firmly uh, came over because he was the one that had the most trepidations and thought maybe that staying at Marvel would have been more advantageous for him. And the reason Todd and Mark have always been so close is that Todd turned him. I mean, Mark, the way a vampire turns another is how Todd turned Mark Silvestri. He stuck his fangs in him and turned him and, and now, uh, you know, whether it's True Blood or Dracula, Bram Stoker or otherwise, uh, kind of Mark is a result of of Todd's vampire uh, wizardry and turning him because Mark was literally not going to come along with us. So, you know, Mark, I remember very specifically when he said, I'm in, I'm in, and he was excited and the possibility seemed endless. And and so so we had been together, we had done calls, we had done dinners, we had done, you know, gatherings. But this was our official coming out to the press. They would they would have a press release. They'd have a picture of us. They could tell everybody what Image Comics was, and uh, and that that was the the purpose of this Malibu uh, opportunity. And could we have gotten together under circum- cer- other and and certain circumstances? We could have, but we did under this Staber Home Video weekend. Where so when you see those videos, know that those are within hours of us going to Mark Silvestri's to make the Image Comics thing final to make it a real deal and so when you see that photo as i have to look at that photo each and every year now you know kind of what went into it when it was done we we you know the the reporter the 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 articles were agreed to be um produced and then we went out and we had a great lunch and we all uh drove to a local 
uh, uh, restaurant and had French fries and burgers and sodas and just laughed. And what we were talking about at the time was just our shared camaraderie, what we've been through, how the comics industry had changed, and the excitement for what was to come. Because as we've all said, none of us saw Image Comics coming. And Image Comics succeeded because of you. You showed up, you bought the books, you were excited by us, and we could not have been more thrilled because it exceeded all of our wildest expectations and imaginations. I, I Again, when Paul Liefeld, my dad, came to me lovingly, said, son, you're 23 years old, you're making millions of dollars from X-Force, can you tell me why you're leaving this very lucrative gig that you have? And then I just said, dad, I just want to control and, and, and own the characters that I'm going to create from here on out and be able to decide their, um, you know, decide their fates. If I want to make bad decisions with them, I want to be able to make bad decisions. If I want to make good decisions, I want to make good decisions, but they'll be mine. I won't be getting a percentage like I did in this deal that I, you know, cut with Marvel in the nineties where I get, you know, a percentage of every character. It'll be me having the controlling interest. And I showed him the math and said, dad, if I sell a hundred thousand units, which again, I'm selling a million, I'm, I'm averaging a million units a month post X-Force number one on X-Force two, three, four. At the time I'm doing a million, I put myself at 10%. I think I can do a hundred thousand sales and I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I'm 23 years old. That was more or less what we were going into when the media would have you believe that we were like, we're all going to sell a million, not our expectation whatsoever. But it all came together in that day when we made it official in our frumpy selves, having gone out the night before, assembling ourselves from the hotel rooms that Staber was um, paying for, in, at least in regards to myself and Todd McFarlane and Eric, uh, I'm sorry, and Jim Lee, grabbing Eric Larson from the uh, the the airport, Jim Valentino driving up, Mark Silvestri hosting us, and Image Comics was born, and that photo will never let us <laughs> forget about it. I hope you guys enjoy, all of you enjoy these walks down memory lane, kind of putting context to, to, to everything that was going on at the time, especially, again, what I really want to say with the Stan Lee stuff is I'm not trying to have you see him less than you do now. I want you to understand that things were not going well for him and he needed someone to turn things around and they did and the, and the right attention found him. We were fortunate to have him as our host on those videos and I look back at them with nothing but the most favor and the most awesome uh, respect. And I, I'm so glad that those, I mean, now they're on film, they, they semi live forever. Now you guys know that at the end of every show, I read the, your generous and wonderful and kind and amazing reviews that you leave for me. Well, today I'm going to actually read to you a review that was sent to me from somebody who said he couldn't leave the uh, review on the podcast platform, but he wanted to send me. And so he sent this to me via Facebook. His name is Doodlesburg. Now, again, you guys are always very generous. You leave these amazing reviews for us, and I read them at the end of every show. When you post them on the Apple Podcast, it really helps elevate our um, our our profile over there. And the show is growing leaps and bounds, and that is because of you and your word of mouth and your um, your enthusiasm for the show, and I appreciate it so much. This gentleman wanted to reach out, and so he sent this to me via via Facebook. His name is Doodlesburg. And literally, that's the name, Doodlesburg, D-O-D-L-E-S, sorry, it's Doodle Surge, Doodle Surge, Doodle Surge, D-O-O-D-L-E-S-U-R-G. See, 
Sometimes I just look at a name and I, I make it my own. And Doodleberg was what I wanted to call this guy, but it's really Doodle Search. It says, I was a big fan back in the day. I saw you at the New York, Pennsylvania hotel in the 90s. I got out of collecting for over a decade. I recently discovered your observation podcast as I started getting back into collecting when the pandemic began. When stores were closed and there were new products, I would buy trades and dollar bin items basically just to help out, to help them out. But as I read these comics, it rekindled my love for the medium. I started buying up new stuff again over the past two years. I also went back and bought back issues from the Bronze Age, mostly based on my favorite artists. I discovered your podcast and I am listening from the very beginning. I am so excited about comics again. Hearing your take on the history, artists, behind the scenes is so entertaining and insightful. I have a real hunger to go back and get things that I never would have considered. Logan's Run, The Micronauts, etc. Thank you so much for what you're doing for the medium and the fans. Doodles Search. Hey, each and every one of these reminds me why I sit and talk into this mic and, and hopefully, you know, I don't bore you into the ground. But I am so thrilled to talk comics with you and keep comics at the center of the uh, of the conversation. Again, I can tell you, hey, man, look, the world, uh, you know, turned on its heel while a film slate from Warner Brothers was announced. But I don't really want to sit and talk about this because I already know that you're hearing that from so many other bloggers who are booting up like 10 seconds after the announcement comes. They've already got their pre-recorded videos and they want to tell you why this choice is iffy and why this one probably is the best choice of all and why this one may not come together. That's just not going to be me. So thank you for realizing that's not our show. That's not what we do. Uh, I do appreciate so very much that you guys have taken this walk uh, on observation through with through at on observations with me and i i just can't tell you how much i appreciate you and for so so often when i go to the store signings and the conventions which i haven't done in about six months so many of you tell me how much you enjoy the show and i'm always floored it's a new it's like it's 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 really a new um situation for me because i'm like oh yeah i forgot to do a podcast i think i think I'm, they're going to talk about comic books but i but the podcast is the stuff that that has become kind of the conversation and and on the whatnot live feeds that i do which i'll talk about in a minute on the whatnot app you guys are always there um and and you're so kind about the rob observations podcast and many of you have said you found the whatnot from this podcast and then i try i try and send some of you whatnot people over here to the podcast so all around thank you again for listening each and every week i appreciate it so much you guys know that i am all over social media i am on twitter i have my long name on twitter it's at robert liefeld r-o-b-e-r-t-l-i-e F-E-L-D guy, I can't even spell. I don't know that I spelled that right. R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. Yes, that is at Robert Liefeld on Twitter. I have a blue check, which come on, I'm not sure it amounts to anything, but it tells you it's really me. It's a verification that counts. It still counts when it stops counting. I'll tell you, it doesn't mean I'm special. It means I'm real. That's how I look at it, Like because there's imposters. Why do you think I don't have the Rob Liefeld account? <laughs> the another guy took it. So on Twitter, I am Robert Liefeld. I love talking to you, hearing your voices over on Twitter, your um, your 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 messages, your DMs, your your mentions, your opinions. Thank you for chatting it up with me over on Twitter. I am always over there at Robert Liefeld. On Instagram, you can watch my kind of random photo dump of my life with my pictures, my um, what I'm eating, what I'm doing with my family, my wife, what I'm drawing, what's on my table. Um, Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld. I'd love for you to join me over there. I I, I have a lot of fun on Instagram. I think it's my probably my favorite of all the social media apps. Uh, so on on Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld. Find me there. I am looking forward to seeing you. 
There's an app called Whatnot. I just mentioned it. Whatnot is a state-of-the-art, brand new, uh, in the last couple of years, collectible app. If you want manga, anime, trading cards, uh, sports cards, if you want sports memorabilia, if you want, I mean, they even have Rolex watches now. But in, in, in my department, it's comic books, toys, Funko Pops, and original art. I am Rob Liefeld. Follow me on Whatnot. Download the app follow me. I go live right now. We're doing it roughly two, two shows a week. They're generally on Wednesdays and Saturdays, but if you follow me you'll get a notification that I'm going to have a show. I have exclusive variant covers that I've done with whatnot. And there are more on the way. I've done a Deadpool and new mutants, a brigade and a, uh, a, uh, Spider-Man really fun variants that we've done over on whatnot that you can only get from me on the platform. And, and we do all sorts of different customization signings. What is a drop shadow chisel? What is a blood splatter chisel? And what is an outline chisel? We just introduced the outline chisel. Anyway, I have fun signing, again, Funko Pops, toys, comic books, random, some from the 90s, from the 80s, from the 2000s. Uh, we, we always bring a, 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 try and bring a great variety of stuff. And of course, there's, there's original art sketches. Join me on Whatnot. Jump on one of my feeds. I am literally talking to you straight into the camera for three to four hours. It is a complete um, goofy version of me. Um, sometimes I, I may be a little more tired than, than others, but I am talking to you and droning on. Nonetheless, some of you believe this is, it is a, it is a progression uh, of, of this podcast. Um, I, I think if we want to call it that, it's, it's maybe a little sloppier version of this podcast, but at least I'm looking right at you and I am talking to you as I share all my comics, toys, and, uh, and, and pops with you. So, so follow me over on whatnot. Love to see you during one of our live streams on Facebook. We have a group. It's called Rob Liefeld, Marvel extreme and beyond it's growing leaps and bounds. We'd love to have you myself or Terry Sala S A L A. We are the only two administrators, moderators that will click people through to the group where we talk about all things, comic books, mostly stuff that I've created and or worked on. Um, but if you like the podcast, I think you'll have a fun time over there. It's another extension of this. Uh, please join us. Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond is the name of the group. You will know you're in the right place when myself or Terry Sala click you through. So that's, that's how you know. So please join us over there. Um, we love seeing you. We love seeing your faces and, 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 and hearing your expressions and your opinions. And, and we love sharing. We have art contests. It's so fun. Join us over there. Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. It is the time of the show when I encourage you to take a break, especially if you're listening to this, to this as you're going into the weekend. Get that recliner ready. Get that bag of Doritos or Bake Lays or whatever you're eating or that, you know, milkshake, ice cream. You know, I'll go down to all, all the major food groups here, um, uh, you know, lasagna, hamburgers, tacos, and, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, and carrot cake. Okay, get it all ready with, with maybe a bag of M&Ms, some, some Reese's peanut butter cups, get the big cups. Don't, don't, don't deny yourself the big cup. The big cup is, is life's true pleasure and you should absolutely be partaking in it. But the bottom line is take a break, get a comic book, get an absolute edition. Be like me and tell my kids, you can't, can't read my authority absolute edition. That's, that's for dad. That's the collector's edition. Um, and then make them watch you read it on your recliner with your bag of chips. Okay. To really flex that this is how I'm reclining and I'm adjusting and I am, um, rebooting because we all need to reboot and we need to take some time off. And I am rooting for you to get some free time that you can just read a comic, watch a great show, listen to great music, eat some fun food. It's, it's a, it's a uh, cheat day on every front. Just make sure that some sort of comic book material, sci-fi fantasy is included. And that'll, that'll give it that extra kick. Thank you once again for listening to me. As always, I appreciate you so much and please swing back around. 
because you know I'm going to be here and we will most definitely, positively, inevitably, inevitably talk again real soon. Thank you.